You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 41 of That One Time on Tour is brought to you by the band Wanted Noise. The members of Wanted Noise grew up in San Diego, Maui, and Goleta, California during the 90s and 2000s. As kids, they found punk rock through the soundtracks of skate and surf clips. They are currently crafting their debut album, Next Generation, which is influenced by fat records bands like Lagwagon, No Effects, and Face to Face. For more information on the band, you can check them out on Instagram and Facebook at WantedNoiseCA at their Bandcamp, wantednoise.bandcamp.com. Their music is also available on iTunes, YouTube, and Spotify. Now, here it is their new single, Two Steps.
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Sean Cologne from Open Ended Films, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Hey, what's going on? This is Chris Swinney. I am your host for That One Time on Tour. This is my podcast where I get to sit down with someone in or around the music industry and we have a kick-ass conversation. So thanks a lot for checking out last week's episode. Hopefully you did. If not, you can go back and check it out after this episode. This week I got to sit down with Mr. Sean Cologne from Open Ended Films. Sean was the director of an awesome documentary on my favorite record label, Fat Records. It's called A Fat Wreck. And it tells the story of the record label, how Fat Mike for No Effects started it with his ex-wife, Erin. And it's it's a great story. I think people people that I know that have watched it that weren't even fans of the bands or the label really loved it. It's a great story. And we get into the whole thing with Sean. We also talk about our love of podcasts and all kinds of crazy stuff. So before I get into this week's episode, I do need to take care of some business like I do all the time. I've got some amazing sponsors that I need to tell you guys about. Uh, back once again, rockabilia.com. They are your one one-stop shop for everything from your favorite band. They're just amazing. You got to go check them out, man. They have over 500,000 unique items officially licensed by the bands. So head on over to rockabilia.com and at checkout, put in the promo code PCTOTOT and you're going to save 15% on your entire order. I'm saving you money. Go on over there and check it out. I also need to tell you guys about Sticker Wolf. I love Sticker Wolf. They did our logo. They've sent me some amazing stickers for the show that I'm giving out to our patrons. I'll tell you about Patreon here in a little bit. So go on over to Sticker Wolf. They do graphic design work. They do amazing stickers, buttons, all kinds of stuff, and hit them up at StickerWolf.com or on all of the social media platforms at StickerWolf. You can also put in, you can also tell them, I don't know if it's a put in or if you just tell them, but they said the code T-O-T-O-T will get you 
10% off. So check that out. I also need to tell you about Muncie Music Center. Dot, not MuncieMusicCenter.com. It's MuncieMusic.com, but the store is Muncie Music Center. I teach guitar there, basically anything with strings. It's a really cool little mom and pop music store here in Muncie, Indiana. They've got everything that you need if you're a musician. And uh, you guys need to check them out and support them. They're at 600 South Mulberry Street in Muncie, or you can check them out online, like I said, at MuncieMusic.com. So I talked about Patreon, so I need to tell you guys about it. We actually have a new patron. We are up to three patrons now. That's amazing, man. Um, If you guys are interested in becoming a patron, go on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. I just put up an episode where someone interviewed me like a bonus episode and uh, I'm putting up all kinds of cool stuff over there and I'm planning on doing some cool exclusive content for our patrons. So go on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you think that this is a cool podcast, you like what I'm doing, you think it's worth something, help me out. If not, I totally understand. Listen for free. I want you guys here anyway. But I do need to give a shout out to Aaron Schultz. He is our new patron and he is out of Indiana. So thank you very much, Aaron, for pledging your $5 a month pledge. (laughs) It really helps us keep the lights on there. You know, there's some costs associated with the podcast and I do appreciate it. So big ups to Aaron Schultz out of Indiana. Thank you very, very much. That's all the business. I do want to tell you, you know, a little bit about my life. This week's been tough, man. I, uh, my car broke down a few days back and I wasn't sure what was going on. It was out of coolant. So, you know, I put some more coolant in it. Five seconds later, the coolant is on the ground. So I I limp it up to the service station. They tell me I've got to take it to a Ford dealership. The Ford dealership tells me it's going to be $1,200. Then they check it out and they find out that, oh, it's going to be $4,500 because they have to put a new engine in because coolant got into the engine. And if any of you guys out there know when coolant gets into your engine and mixes with your oil, that's bad news. So I didn't know what I was going to do. And then my wife found this cool SUV on Facebook Marketplace. And I uh, went and checked it out and it was the right price and I got it. So I am mobile again. No more Uber for me for a while. But uh, yeah, so we've got a nice, we've got a Mercury Mariner. Maybe if I say that enough, maybe they'll send me like a new Mercury Mariner. <laughs> Probably not. You got to be like Joe Rogan or somebody to get that. But uh, so yeah, that's what's going on in my life. Kids are great. Wife's great. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So I do want to give a shout out to my wife. I hope she will listen to this. She might listen to this. Felicia, Michelle Swinney, I love you. You are my person and uh, thanks for everything you do. And thanks for being my executive producer and giving me the time to do this podcast. So everybody out there in podcast land, you should, uh, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, comment and thank my wife and tell her happy Valentine's Day. She's an amazing person and uh, she deserves the support. Okay, that's enough. I'm rambling. You guys are sick of hearing about it. Uh, You came to hear Sean talk about Fat Records and his life. So that's what we're going to do. So make sure that you're following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at TOTOT podcast. If you want to become a sponsor, you heard Wanted Noise at the beginning. They're a really cool band out of California. They sponsor this episode and your band or company can as well. Just hit me up, podcast at gmail.com. Call the hotline, leave me some love, some hate, 1765-372-8818. I've got some cool uh, messages people have left me that I'm going to start playing. And I don't know if you heard last week's episode with Brandon from Rancid, but at the end of the episode, there was this little snippet of my son saying that he had to poo-poo. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I I loved in the 90s and like early 2000s, you'd buy like an album and there was always a hidden track. You know, I don't know if you guys know what I mean, but like you'd wait like 10 minutes past the last song and there'd be like a hidden track. 
So I'm going to try to do some funny stuff here and there. Uh, I'm going to do like a hidden track at the end of the podcast. So maybe it'll make you listen to the whole podcast so you can know what the hidden track's going to be. We'll see how that goes. I'm just trying to make things a little bit more entertaining. Yeah, that's it, man. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. It really helps out and uh, it helps the visibility of the podcast. So thank you very much if you've done so. If you haven't, you got to get to it. Just click that little button. And uh, my dog just came in the studio. How you doing, Lucy? <laughs> she heard me talking. She was asleep. I don't know if she's going to be on the podcast or not, but here she is. Her name's Lucy. She's a bulldog. She's awesome. She's getting up on my lap. Okay, so I got to get off here or Lucy's going to be my co-host. So uh, I love you guys. Um, and I'll be back at the end of the conversation to do the outro. I'm going to play a couple songs. So stick around for that and the hidden track at the end. But uh, here's my conversation with Sean Cologne. It's a long one. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Sean Cologne. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm good, man. Really good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Like, I'm a big podcast fan, so it's always cool when I get to be on one. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was on one yesterday. Uh, the, it's weird. It was uh, the guy was a big Atari's fan, and he also likes my show, so he wanted me to be on his show. And it's always odd from being like the host guy to then going to that, you know. Right, exactly. It's uh, for me. I I do a lot of interviewing, obviously for documentaries. So I'm usually the one sitting there listening. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but I love to talk, so I love <laughs> on the talking side. Well, we're gonna do a lot of talking today. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So, okay. So uh, the first thing that I want to know. I mean, we'll get into all of the stuff that you've done and your documentary and everything. But I want to know first of all, how old are you? Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Okay, so you're two years younger than me. So we're right there in that same kind of, you know, generation of fat records and all that stuff. Yeah. So I want to know what kind of got you into not only music, but like the punk genre. Like what was it for you when you were young and you were starting out? Yeah, I was, I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, and there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of like stuff that when I was like 12 or 13, I was just, it's all mainstream stuff. And obviously cause there, but, um, there were some high school girls, I think when I was like in like eighth grade that, um, you know, like opened me up to some, like they had punk, uh, punkorama. Yeah. Yeah. Punkorama. I think the first like time I ever heard no effects was on punkorama, but it was like, it wasn't just punk and it, that didn't actually pull me in at that point. Um, I just had heard, that's the first time I heard no effects. You know, I think it's like, uh, you know, the don't call me white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so progressive, right? Yeah, um, totally. Back then, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, what really what really made me go and get the NoFX Punk and Drublick was I my sister lived in uh, California uh, in the Los Angeles area and um, and I would get, sometimes go out and stay with her for the summers like for two or three months, but she didn't have a lot of money so she would go to work and I was just going to be like left to my own devices and um, to get around I'd walk but. At the time, she had these rollerblades, and they were like purple. It's just awful. <laughs> um, but it, I could get my range was much farther because I had walked everywhere I could. You know, first few days I'm there, and I'm like, I want to go out farther. But I ended up running into these skater kids, and I thought I was hanging out with these guys, and they were being cool. And they were like, uh, "So, you know, what bands do you like? You've heard of No Effects?" I was like, "No Effects," and I had didn't connect two and two that I'd heard it before. You know? Yeah. But. Uh, but they were like, you haven't heard of no effects? And they were like, like, well, 
They ended up robbing me. <laughs> like not <laughs> and, not and like, you were on rollerblades, correct? Right. They were they were like, <laughs> I know. I do like I know. Yeah, like I was from Savannah. I didn't know anything, man. I had yeah, like yeah. long hair, Nirvana hair. It was I mean it was but they took like my Game Boy. I mean not like from me. They like they're like, hey, we're gonna go, we gotta go to our house. I'm like, oh, Okay, see so you guys. And then when I went to my bag, my stuff was gone. But um, <laughs> I took a lot of CDs, which is weird because they were making fun of me for the music, so weird. Uh, <laughs> but then when I got back, I went and uh, found uh, No Facts. <laughs> yeah. And I found that I really liked it, so. <laughs> were, were you were you already into, like, some of the mainstream stuff at the time? Like, uh, was this around the time of, like, the punk explosion with Green Day and Offspring and stuff like that? It was a little earlier. I, I My introduction to anything punk was through nirvana okay like the, the the even the interest in the word punk came from like being a big nirvana head and reading the books and doing all that shit and you hear like the bands that they would talk about and how all the like that he came all their music came from the punk scene and you know that there are variation on that and things like that so you know when someone's like oh this you know punk and drublick you know like that word punk i didn't associate it necessarily with like i don't know i wasn't like like I didn't know the Ramones and all that stuff you yeah. know, at the time. So, um, but and, and like I, I, my introduction was I like, like I like the technical stuff because I used to be in like Sepultura. Like well, that's why that's why the Fat Wreck stuff kind of stood out for me because you know coming from a total metal background, like I love like Metallica, I loved Iron Maiden. So when I heard the Fat Wreck stuff, I'm like, wow, this is not metal, but it's. I, I just it had such a metal edge to it, and I think I mean par- partially in your documentary they talk a lot about that, and that's what you drew you in as well. Yeah, I mean I was a a big Sepultura guy, uh, and it was what I liked a lot about Sepultura was that it was very technical, but they did a lot of like, there's a, I mean I didn't know it at the time, but they have a lot of punk influences in some of this, the way they do drums, like the double time and and you know that kind of stuff. And they even had some songs that were straight up like punk songs, you know, on like uh, some uh, Sepultura stuff. But the other thing that drew me into Sepultura was that Max Cavalera was always talking about socio-political type things. Yeah. You know, like uh, stuff going on in Brazil and like the indigenous, what happened to the indigenous people. And the lyrics would be like kind of dark, but it'd be like, I don't know, it was also like very like. I don't know. It had a, like a, a consciousness, and it was deeper than most metal, which is like the darkness inside me is growing. You know, just like <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't get into that kind of stuff, but I always got into the stuff that like the technical music. And then when I think when I found, uh, I think I remember the first time someone showed me Strung Out, and uh, I had heard like other punk bands, and I think it was on a mixtape. Somebody had made me a tape of a bunch of Fat Records bands, and when I heard them do a pitch harmonic. Like yeah. in a song, you know, like that, that, that yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? You could do this in punk rock? I was like, what? So I was like, it, it, you know, it had, it had, like, I wanted to dive in more. And then from that, I just, you know, you know, propaganda and good riddance and just really, really kind of was drawn to those bands. Were you playing guitar at the time or, or like, were you into like the, that side of it or were you just more of like a fan? No, I was playing, yeah, I was playing guitar too. I mean, I, I was in a punk band in my sophomore year of high school. So it was like two years after I heard, <laughs> like within the time of hearing No Effects, I was like, I had already wanted to be in a band. I had been playing guitar and playing Nirvana stuff and, you know, and I like that kind of thing. But once I had heard that kind of music, like 
I, like there was another punk band in like the high school I went to, and I ended up be friends with those guys. We've now been friends for twenty five plus years, and have like our kids hang out and shit now. Wow. Um, and we're we've been we're still in bands together. Like you know what I mean? Like we'd have a recording studio together. We did the whole thing, but it was like that's the kind of music we wanted to play. And even in high school, we were playing, you know, like I was too cool for school. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in the most sarcastic way. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, like we thought we were cool, but we were like I didn't really do much in high school because I thought high school was lame so we were like we were playing like shows in like like you know pizza shops and like some bars some types of bars and stuff when we were in high school and at the time there wasn't a lot of people that were doing that and our my buddies had mohawks and they got like got in trouble get written up in the school paper because of like I wasn't that cool though I didn't have a mohawk but <laughs> although I will say this here's something that's really interesting that kind of ties everything with the Fat Records documentary together. Um, my senior year, I took uh, Media Tech. Okay. And, um, you know, very basic stuff, but some of my buddies, they were shooting this documentary <laughs> called uh, Fuck the World about the punk scene in Denton. And for part of the documentary, uh, I had long, like, Nirvana hair, and in the thing, they cut my uh, hair into a mohawk. Wow. One of these punk rock guys cut my hair, and then we interviewed... Um, uh, what's his face from uh, the Queers? Uh, um, Joe. Yeah, he. It was the craziest thing. I'd never seen anything like that. Was the first punk rock show I ever went to was the Queers, and he came off stage and hung out with everybody, and like that just was completely. I, I just that I'd never seen that before. Everything I understood music to be is like those people do that over there. You know, the big people, the, the band, big bands are like they're over there and you're over here. And that was like, I don't know, that, that, that was another thing about the scene that drew, drew me in beyond the music. That's what drew me more into the scene, if that makes sense. Yeah, I remember the first time I went to his show and there wasn't a barricade. And I was like, what, what happens if like people go crazy? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was insane like because I was used to going to you know big arena shows and stuff when I was young yeah. I, I remember the first actual punk show that I went to was just a bunch of local bands and they were all a lot older than me and I, I the whole time you know going to the show I'm like oh we're gonna go to the show it's gonna it's gonna in this little tiny place but it's gonna be like a concert and you walk in and there's not even a stage and it kind of <laughs> It doesn't compute with you at first, but then once you see it and you see how great it is, you never want to go to an arena show again. Right. Oh, man, I can't do I can't do arena shows. Uh, I mean, to be honest, it's hard for me to do shows at all. <laughs> uh, man, after all the touring I've done, it's got to be somebody, somebody that I can't, I can't, you know, live without seeing. Like, I was, my buddy's like, you didn't go to the Descendants show a couple months back? And I'm like, well if Stefan will be on the podcast, I'll go to the Descendants show. And then he was, so I went to the show. Great. He's so rad. He's a rad dude, man. Yeah, Stefan's great. Shout out to Stefan and all the guys from the Descendants. They were, they're, they're super great. They've always been super great to me. But uh, yeah, I just, man, there's so many shows that come up and I, I get excited and I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, I, it's not like, the only time I ever go to shows is if our band is playing a show. Yeah. <laughs> and it just sounds bad. It's uh, like, I think I can watch Wilhelm Scream. Oh yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. Um I can watch Propagandi anytime for the rest of my life. Dude, would, Propagandi, like, that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about because the thing that like the research I've done on you and I've read some other interviews and you know just watching the documentary, I know that you and I both have this like thing for Propagandi. They are one of the first bands that kind of 
showed me what punk could be. <laughs> they and, showed me beyond punk, man. It yeah. Was, to me, like it helped develop my worldview, and I don't agree with everything they agree with, but it made me start looking into those things. I mean, th they were talking about the Gaza Strip back in '94. Oh yeah. And just hearing Gaza Strip and like reading, trying to find out about it, or asking my dad, like, what's the Gaza Strip and what's what is, you know, and it just, it opened my mind to the world and understanding even like they were so progressive back then that so much stuff that's happening right now I have such a context for because I read and like you know all the references and it would make me go look up words in yeah. the dictionary and like what does that mean it improved my vocabulary it improved my like like under like my place in the world in the sense of like you know researching and being not being ignorant of other people's plights yeah if that makes sense um you know and if if you're like someone who cares about other people at all <laughs> yeah. like you know what i mean like i don't know there's something about propaganda like you meet other people who like propaganda and it's it's this common thing that there's a certain ethics there's a certain ethos i'd say that most people who like propaganda are going to have yeah definitely if you if you didn't, you would not listen to them. You know, <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, I remember you were talking about, you know, they said Gaza Strip back in the day in that song. That song, there's that one part where they just chant fuck religion for like a minute. Right, right. <laughs> and I remember when I was younger, like in high school, you know, my parents like trying to get me not to listen to gangster rap or taking different CDs away. And I remember my mom walked into my room one time right when he started yelling fuck religion. And my mom's like, what is this? <laughs> And they didn't take it away from me, but it was kind of a, a weird time because right. they were thinking, oh, well, all this, all this like gangster rap stuff is the bad stuff. I'm like, well, right. this isn't bad. Maybe you don't like what he's saying, but it, it actually means something, you know? Right. Well, even that, like that song, like it's misleading in a way because you hear God the Strip and you hear like fuck religion. But then you start like, uh, like I dove more into that and it's not necessarily about the Palestinian stuff. It's about this like form of... Uh, what is it called? Rastafari, which yeah, is like yeah. this bastardification of like, which like as you start to like, you're thinking like, oh, this is about the Palestinian conflict. But like, oh, no, it's this other has all these other layers. And it also made me appreciate like a depth in lyrics and made me like set the bar at a certain level. I mean, kind of why I found a fell out with Strung Out, you know, that pitch heart mark like, brought me in. Right. But then as I dove into a lot of their lyrics, once Jim died. Yeah. Um. Just not my cup of tea. It's too uh, it's flowery language and little too poet, little too on the poetic side. Yeah, I got me. you. I got you. You know, uh, like those guys are been super nice to me, so I would never say anything. <laughs> yeah. But like, just lyrically, like I need something that's like more thought provoking, you know, maybe. You know, and as I say this, it's interesting. One of my favorite propaganda songs is like "Without Love." Yeah. And like that's. I think one of the best things that happened to propaganda is when they started turning inward. You know what I mean? And kind of like, like there was a uh, definite shift in like the songwriting, not musically really. I mean, I guess there wasn't in, in the music as well, but in the lyrics, as you know, the band got the guys in the band got older and maybe had kids or whatever. I mean, it, yeah, it changed quite a bit, and I, I like the new d direction that they're in now. I mean, if you're if you're as much a fan as I am, like you'll like hear lines that Chris has like rewritten and and put in in a much more sophisticated way yeah you know what i mean like where it was super blunt before which is what i liked at that age i love that how blunt it was 
you know, you can stick this fucking flag up your ass, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then you find out they're from Canada and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but it's like, uh, I've heard lines that I know are the exact same line rewritten in a, so he can say it in a way that's, gets the point across, but doesn't, doesn't have that same, like, doesn't put someone on the defensive, you know? Yeah. You know, he had, he had a line about cheer, cheering on embassy bombings, you know? Which I was like, uh, you know, but, but like, I see what he's saying. He's like, I've been, I've been reduced to, you know, I'm like nothing more than, but then he, later, I think it's in Potemkin. I think it's in Potemkin. There, he, he uses that same line, but written in a much more nuanced way, but it's the same concept. You know what I mean? And I feel like if you're so, you know, they were so young, they've, they've been around for so long. Some of those first records, some of the stuff they were saying, you said it was very blunt, you right. know, as you get older, it, it would it would really suck to be kind of taken on what you wrote when you were like 18, 19 years old. So, uh, oh, yeah, right. No, I, but I think what they were saying was great. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's just like, now they're it, saying it in a better way, a more kind of I don't know. It gets the point across better without being so blunt. I get what you're saying. Well, I mean, he, like early on, they had such a self-awareness in the lyrics Uh you know, how he says, like, of course, I recognize the irony, you know, the system that affords me the luxury, you know, um, of biting the hand that feeds. That's exactly why privileged fucks like me should feel obliged to whine and kick and scream. Like, yeah. I mean, that's fucking that. That is so well written. Like that is just I said that to somebody like without telling them that I kind of like afterwards, I said it was from a song. But when I said that to them, like, they, like. It was a person like that doesn't know punk rock or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And I said that to them because we we're talking about like, you know, why you pushing should be pushing for everyone to have, you know, rights. And I said that line and they like, ha like it look, I had like completely impressed them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And like, and I was like, by the way, that's from a song of this band that I like, you know, like I had to like, I wouldn't take credit for it, you know, but it was, it's so, I mean, I think it became more nuanced, but I think it was always pretty sophisticated, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, man. So, I mean, it, and I was going to say, like, as a side note, it's insane to, for me, like, to know those guys and know them where they know me and, like, like, like I consider them friends. You know what I mean? I, I have a crazy story about that. Do you know how, you know, back in the day, the early propaganda stuff, even up through now, um, with the Internet being around, it's easier to know what they all look like. But back on their first few records... You know, you didn't really know what they looked like. They were from right. Canada, and if you didn't see them live, you had no idea. And I remember back in maybe the early 2000s, I'm not sure what year it was, I've always been a big Propagandi fan, but I never really knew what they looked like. And I didn't see them live until probably eight years ago, you know? So, wow, holy yeah, shit. It just, they never came around here, and when they did come close, I was on tour, and it was just kind of right, weird. Right, right. So basically the story, I think you'll love the story that we can get back to the little timeline we've got going. But uh, I was on tour with this band called The Reason up in Canada. They're on Warner Brothers. And we were playing at this little tiny bar in Winnipeg. And we got done playing. And I'd been talking to the guys all day like, this is where Propagandi's from. Like I was so <laughs> excited. And we got done playing the gig. And the bar was open till like super late, like 4 or 5 in the morning. So after the gig, we loaded out. And then we're just kind of drinking beer, like hanging out at the bar. And there's this guy at the bar. And he walks over. And he says, hey, can I join you? And I was like, yeah, man, sure. And he sat down. I said, you from Winnipeg? He's like, yeah. And we just started talking. And like... I bought him a beer and like, then he bought me a drink and like all this stuff. And we just kept talking. He said, well, what kind of music are you into? And I said, well, 
I love punk rock. You know, I'm in this band. We're, we're playing. And I said, you know, we're in Winnipeg. One of my favorite bands is from Winnipeg. He's like, well, what's one of your favorite bands? And I said, Propagandi. And he goes, yeah, I sing in that band. <laughs> I had no idea it was Chris. And then after that, we talked for like another two hours and it was great. But like, I, I had no idea. And I think he thought I was maybe fucking with him or something. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> living in Indiana my whole life where once in a while we would get some kind of punk band or some band that I liked or we'd have to go to Chicago or Cincinnati or Louisville and then start touring, you know, full time when you get out of high school or whatever. And you just there's certain bands that you loved, but if they didn't put their pictures in the CD, you had no idea what they looked like. And that was kind of what happened. And if I ever see him again, I want to, I want to talk to him about it and make sure he knows I wasn't fucking with him. It's so true. Like now you know what everyone looks like. Cause like, uh, you, you ever heard of the, the uh, ska band Mephiscopheles? Oh yeah. Up, I, uh, cause I just started following them on Facebook cause they're putting out a new record. And I like, I was showing my daughter, she's four. I showed her Mephiscopheles. <laughs> <laughs> Get him started like, young, man. She loves, she loves doomsday. Like she even does the laugh. Yeah. Like, but, uh, I didn't know their lead singer was a black dude. Oh, I didn't know that to this day. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. And I they, cause they're, they're, they're like, they've been like active again and they're going to put out a new record and like, cause they did a tour and my buddies went like to the show and I wish I would have gone because I really like they're, they're one of my favorite ska bands I, I would say yeah and uh like I was like this is crazy I was like that's so awesome like <laughs> I mean it's awesome that I had no idea you know what I mean like it, like I it's one of those bands that I just didn't I had no idea because there's they didn't have pictures of them in the albums artwork you know or in the albums when I had it so like you said man it's like Back then, I think that's totally legitimate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that, I, I, I totally think now that I think back, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. I think that he thought I was messing with him a little bit, but when I found out, because at first I didn't even really believe him, and then we started talking about Fat Records and all kinds of stuff, and and I was like, oh my gosh, like you're honestly Chris Hanna, that's insane. <laughs> and yeah, it was a it was a really good tour memory to have that I I was freaked out because I didn't know what he looked like. <laughs> right, man, that's. Well, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, propaganda. Loves of shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'm sure we'll come back to some of that. But let's, uh, so you're playing in bands. You know, you're into punk rock now. You're getting pretty deep into it. When did film kind of become a thing for you? That was like five years ago. Okay. Um, now, when I, was, when I was doing that, my friends were doing the documentary. I shot a little bit of it. But it was more, I wanted to be an audio engineer. It was okay. my goal at the time. Um. Which I did. I mean, we, we, like me and my buddies, we started a studio. We've had a studio now for 15 years in Dallas. And um, we recorded with Joey Cape, recorded a little song with Joey Cape when he came through. Um, that's kind of how it was one of the kind of like first little connections that I had. Um, this is like, it was years before the fat doc though. Yeah. Um, but the film thing, like, we had me and my buddy, um, like my hetero life mate, the guy I was telling you about, I've been friends since 25, you know, for 25 years. Yeah. Like we'd play in bands and we uh, we played Fest. We finally got on Fest. Okay. And I, I mean, I'm sure you you know Fest, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you, but I mean, you know how it's like a, the drinking is, is excessive. It's you know very I mean? excessive. Yeah. There's free beer sometimes. You know, yeah. like years. There's been years of free beer, free pats. And um, my uh, my buddy, he had like he had a drinking problem. You know what I mean? He was not. That's the hit. hit. The guy is a super responsible dude in almost every other aspect of his life, you know what I mean? But drinking was his Achilles heel. And um, things came to a head at Fest, 
And like suffice to say, like we came there in one van and we left in an airplane, a yeah. car, and the van had to be, uh, I think, returned back to a, it was a mess. Just like, I won't go into all the detail, but it was a mess. And, um, you know, the next morning I found my, I got a call from my buddy's cell phone, but it wasn't him. It was a, a, a guy who had found him. And, uh, it was, you know, he's like, hey, is your friend, I think, needs help. So I went and I, I found him and I, you know, I told him, like, hey, no, nothing you could do would, like, change how I, like, our, like our, our friendship. Like, I love you like a brother. But our relationship professionally is going to have to change until you figure out what's going on. Um, well, you, know, you know, like, we had a studio together. We had the band together and all that kind of stuff. And um, so our band broke up, and basically the, I thought the studio was done, and, you know, I was like, you know, that was about 10 years of my life right there. Um, and and uh, also, you know, worried about my buddy. And uh, at the time, I was the marketing director for this talent development school, and I had the opportunity to start, you know, there was all these kids that needed music videos, and they didn't know it was good or whatever, so uh, I developed a... a like a music video program at the, the place I was at, and I just decided that I was gonna just go into film and start doing film stuff. Because I had always wanted to do, I kind of knew that I wanted to do film eventually, but like I, at the time it was like, I gotta do music and do be an audio engineer and do that and kind of do it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and not, and really try and do it. Like I ran live, live audio, I recorded a bunch of albums, and you know, shit like for local people and other, you know, we, we had, we started a punk rock record label called Dang Records um, that we has, you know, um, we had about 12 or 15 bands that we were, we were helping out bands, not like a full on label. We would just help bands either with like little bits of money for finishing things off or help them with promotions and all that kind of stuff. But after all that was kind of, I was like, let's do, I want to, I'm going to do film. And because where I was at, at the place, I, we did a couple I produced two music, small music videos, and then we got like a twenty thousand dollar budget music video. Wow! And like, I got a taste of what like, like crafty and having like we it was a, it was a off you know a, a location shoot. We had rented places for everyone to stay. It was a crew of thirty people. We shot on Reds and had like, like it was like I had catered food, custom pies. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the 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 crazy like I should it, we pulled it off. It was great. Like it was That's awesome. awesome. It was, these are families that had a lot of money, like, yeah. you know, clearly. But be, when it came to the shooting, and this is, I'm kind of getting you to where I started the Fat Rec Doc. Okay. Um, we shot, because we had, I, I guess I did a pretty job, good job producing it, I had gotten everyone who needed to do their job. So when we were there, I really didn't have much to do. All my job was ahead of time, you know. So uh, me and my, um, my shooting partner, and like, he's also a drummer in our band, and I've known him for 12 years. Um, he, he, like, um, he's actually the person that kind of pulled me into film more than anything. Um, since we didn't have anything to do, we're like, let's shoot a behind the scenes thing for this. And it was the first thing that I had ever edited and shot intentionally like that. And when we, it came together so well that they were like, Hey, we want to screen this before the video. And they rented out a theater to screen the video. And so they showed this little making of documentary and it was, people laughed and we wanted them to laugh. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and it was like. It was the most interesting experience, especially being a musician. It was like being a musician, but like watching yourself. 
you, you know, when you're on stage, you can never watch yourself perform live. You, know, yeah, you, can only, yeah. you, you can see a video of it, but it's not the same as being there and watching yourself. So when you're watching a movie play that you made and it does the things that you wanted to do, it's just like, it's a, it's a crazy feeling. Dude, I, I know the feeling because like I started this podcast because I'm no longer touring. I've got two small children and right. I, I wanted something creative and something that was, you know, when I'm promoting it and when I'm doing it, I, I feel like I'm in a band. So I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. So like, uh, I like that feeling and we, uh, and so like we were, uh, we were, I had met up with my, my buddy Joel and we were doing something with our little studio and I was like. I was like, man, that thing worked out really good. I was like, imagine if we did something that we cared about. <laughs> it was like a country music video, like teen pop shit. I mean, they, they were really nice. I like the people, but not the music and not yeah. what I want to be doing, you know, per se. I was very loved doing it when we were doing it, you know. But like, I was like, could you imagine if we were doing it with content that we like cared about? You know what I mean? If we did this much, just, you know, on a, imagine if we had the, the passion for what the subject matter is and the passion for the technical side, you know? So um, I was like, and this is a time when like Netflix was having a lot of documentaries and like punk doc, like there was like these punk documentaries, but it was always about like the violent punk era. Yeah. And I was like, like, like that, American hardcore and all that stuff. Like, yeah, which, is, which is awesome. I'm not yeah, ragging on that, but it's not the punk rock that I grew up with. Like, it's I all the stuff that came before the stuff you and I grew up with. Right. And the, and the, and the stuff we was a reaction to that. So it was not violent. It was a no, it's like socially conscious. It was the opposite of nihilism. I call it neo hippie because, because it's <laughs> like, like, don't course, let, don't let fat Mike hear that. Well, he's a neo hippie. <laughs> I know in a lot of ways. He love he cares about the people around him. He like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this very, like all, the ideals of it, not the aesthetics, not the, the pretentiousness of hippies and like, but what it was kind of what it was before what it was like being socially conscious and yeah. caring about and being a good person and and your reputation was like one of the most important things you know what i mean so um so i was like why hasn't anyone done a fat records documentary you know and uh, and i kind of felt that same way when i saw yours was coming out i'm like i can't believe this has never been done before Right? It's like there's I knew everyone I'd run into who loved fat like these people who love fat records who were still my same age still loved it like a lot. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Um, cause we had the record label that we were doing, so I would go to like like fest, we would always have a like a table and we would go I think I had a t I did a table out at Punk Rock Bowling one year and I just saw like people would break their kids and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like like this like thing like it's lasted for like 25 years. Yeah. You know? And, um, so I like, I was like, we should make a fat records documentary, but I didn't think that it would be what it was. Cause it was a thing to cut our teeth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, the intention at the beginning was absolutely not to make a full length documentary. I had no idea that it was even possible to do something like that. You know what I mean? But, uh, like, when I first shot the first things for the movie, I had no idea what, like, F-stop was, ISO, any of the... I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> like, me and my wife went. I had a slider, but I was like... I mean, I just, like, I had my, my buddy Joel, like, what should I rent? You know what I mean? Just tell me the best thing to rent, and I'll, I'll rent it. Um, but, you know, like, there's... Uh, I, I'll say this, because this could go on forever, by the way. <laughs> okay. Uh... For movies to happen, like so many things have to happen in your favor. 
Like, there are so many things, if it would have gone just one other way, or if somebody would have said, like, so, I, this, so check this out. I had no connection to Fat Records. I had, that, had I done that one thing with Joey Cape one time. Yeah. And so... Did you, con- no did you contact Joey about your idea or, or did Not you just... Not at first, because the idea was to talk about people that had been influenced by Fat Records. Oh, okay. And, and it was going to be a short. It was just going to be a little short about like how we, like how the people that we, around us, had, and then, you know, I had had a little punk rock record label, so I knew a lot of local punk bands and stuff like, you know, not local, but like l- lower level punk bands. Yeah. That, that sounds diminutive, but, and, you know, like not, not propagandi. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And um, so I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, bring me back on the rails. So you you weren't you weren't going to contact Joey right away. How did right. it all kind of come about? How right, you... right. So I, w- I wasn't going to contact Joey because that, that wasn't the intention. But I was just going to go out and start shooting stuff. So I went out to punk rock bowling and shot some stuff. And there's some other fun stories about that. But I came back and I uh, cut together this little teaser. And the first crazy thing that happened was the company that I worked for as the marketing director, as soon as I got back, we had this showcase. And it's basically where all the kids, like they rent out a place, uh, like a stage, a big spot, and they bring in all these producers from around the country, like professional producers, to, to like rate them and judge, and judge this, this showcase. And potentially, hopefully they can get deals out of it, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. But really they really they don't, but you know. It's it's a it's a money thing, you know. Potentially um, they could, but it's more about making money. Yeah. Uh, it's gross, dude. Yeah. Um, but and I'm the person like that's in charge of like managing this thing. You know what I mean? Like marketing it, like help, you know, like like scheduling it, like doing the videos for it. Like I'm like I am deeply involved in this production, right? And I'm so deeply involved, I don't notice that one of the producers' <coughs> names is Ryan Green. <laughs> okay, yeah. I didn't even think about it until I got back. And I was like, I wonder if this is Ryan Green. And I look it up, and it's fucking Ryan Green. I mean, yeah, and if you know Fat Records, you know Ryan Green. I did not think it was that Ryan Green. Yeah. So my job essentially flew Ryan Green to me. <laughs> unintentionally but when he showed up I, I told him about the project and he's like yeah I'll do an interview that's awesome man and so at that point I felt like I had someone in the inner circle yeah you know what I mean like here's the guy who helped create the sound yeah you definitely I mean? I mean talking you know in the documentary but we always knew growing up trying to record like fat records you know we'd take like a a 50 cent piece or like a quarter and we'd, <laughs> we'd duct tape it or box tape it to the to the the kick drum, so the beater right. would hit it. I always thought that was folklore, and then when I heard it in the documentary, I'm like, dude, we figured it out without even knowing. <laughs> that is so cool that you just told me that, that you thought that was folklore, and so in the movie, what did you think of the little visualization that we did for that? <laughs> oh, I, I thought it was awesome. I mean, that's the one thing that, I mean... That's we'll get, so, that's Edgar Wright inspired. <laughs> we'll get into all that stuff, but yeah, everything <laughs> that you guys did to kind of make the the documentary move along and like connect everything and the different visuals, even like, I want to talk about the puppets later, but I mean, I think even if you're not a fan of the label or know nothing about it, the documentary is very enjoyable. Very Thanks, enjoyable. Man, that's, that really means a lot to me, you know, like... I, want, I think our, our, my goal was to make a movie that I wanted to see as a Fat Records fan. I was like, if someone's making a documentary about Fat Records, they better make it good. Yeah. 
Well, and, and I, I love I love the fact that you guys you zeroed in on all of the main like first you know era bands like you didn't like leave anybody out. I love the fact that there was just as much talk about propaganda as there was Lagwagon or as there was no use for a name. Like it was all there. It was it was. I think the biggest awesome. criticism I get about the movie is that that like I I didn't include someone's favorite band, um, <laughs> yeah. and the reason there was first five are there. Um, and I, I'll go back to, I got to finish telling you how, how yeah. we got connected to the movie. But uh, the reason the first five is because that's not only did my, Fat Mike and Aaron say that like multiple times in their interviews, but I thought that. And I had read our, like interviews where he said like the first five fat bands really kind of established the sound. And these were all Ryan Green. You know, that was kind of like what yeah. established it. And then things kind of changed from there. So going back to what I was saying. So we, so we do, I do the, t- I get Ryan Green, right? Right when I get back from Punk Rock Bowling, where I just shot this stuff. And by the way, Twitter amazing tool oh dude i use it for the podcast and i've gotten some huge guests from twitter yeah. and instagram and say, hey, as well yeah hey are you interested you know and joe sib was one of the first big names you know like somebody who had a, like you know from a like that had a big career shout um, out to that, joe too he's on tour with metallica right now i didn't know if you right? knew that that's insane and he's going to be featured prominently in that no you no use for a name documentary. Oh, that's crazy, man! Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to get Joe on the show. I mean, if for nothing else, I want to talk about punk rock, but I want to talk about what it's like to be a comedian opening for Metallica. <laughs> right, that's insane. Yeah. So, so I, we get that. I take the Brian Green interview, and I don't know if you've ever seen it. They're the first teaser is like, <laughs> I actually kind of like. I did a bunch of motion graphic stuff, and it's not. It's not. It's like it's pretty. I mean, I. That's pretty good. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. When I, I went back and watched it the other day, and I was like, this, this is pretty good. I mean, like, I used like a band from my record label on the thing, and a bunch of people were like, why did you do that? It's because like, I, when I put it on YouTube, I didn't want it to get taken down if I used a fat record song without permission. Yeah. That was happening. So I put it up there with the, and I put at the bottom, like, you know, what it was. And I, I didn't, also didn't want to use, you know, but, um, I put that out, I put that together, and I was going to put it out, and I was like, I should really probably say something to Fat Records before I put this on the internet. <laughs> yeah. But I also didn't want to reach out to them and say, can I do a documentary, because I had no experience at all. Like, at all. I had produced, like, I had shot maybe three or four music, and edited three or four music videos, and we did that, produced that big music video and edited that thing. That was it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, so, but the greatest, this is what I'm saying, for movies to happen, all these crazy things have to fall into place. So what had happened a few years earlier is that when me and Joey were exchanging emails, and by the way, I reached out to him on Facebook, I mean, not Facebook, MySpace, <laughs> to come to our studio, because you were doing a show in Dallas and Denton, which are very close together. So I was like, you could stay, we have a studio, you could come by, you can park the bus. Um, and he did, he did. And uh, so we were exchanging the mixes and stuff like that. You know, we had, we exchanged emails and sort of, yeah. a year later I get an email from, uh, about Lagwagon shows and playing guitar in Lagwagon, which was meant for a different Sean. Okay. He had accidentally put me in a, a email thread, but it had Fat Mike's email. Uh, <laughs> it had a Chris Shiflet from the Foo Fighters email. Wow. Like, <laughs> Like all the gimme gimmies, like it was, it was, it was like all the lagwagon guys and all the gimme gimme guys. But even though I was in punk bands and I had a record label and all that stuff, I knew 
that that was an abuse of that. Yeah, that definitely. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I would not use that to promote my own thing. Um, but when I was going to put this out, I remembered that I had Fat Mike's email, so I was like, "This is a legitimate reason to reach out." Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, he's not. He, even if he says no, he's not going to be mad that you right, said it. that I because you ask permission it, to do it. You know. So I was like, "Hey!" So I sent him this, like, "Hey, I'm I'm putting this out tomorrow." <laughs> And he go. He sent back an email that says, "Looks cool," <laughs> which I took as like a te- like in my ignorance. You know, the great thing about doing documentaries, you learn, you know, about yeah. how the ins and outs of everything. You get sometimes too close to the sun. But like I, I thought I was golden. You know what I mean? Like was, there's a lot more. You know, but I'm saying if I wouldn't have been on that email thread, I don't know if any of this would have happened. It would have played out the same way. Maybe if I put that out without talking to Mike first, he gets pissed off about it. Yeah. And is like, screw you. I'm not doing an interview with you. And then that movie doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But after he did that, and after I put out the thing, it got a, a good response, and I got a lot of feedback. And it was really, the teaser was like, hey, if you like Fat Records, hey, we're looking for stories and like pictures and you know that kind of stuff. Because I also, once I thought I had Ryan Green, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is pretty... You know, so uh, like, and that's really the like how the really all the stuff happened. I mean, after that, like after Mike gave me that look looks cool, I put that out, and then he was No Effects was coming to Dallas in a uh, like in, in, like in a, a couple months after that. So I hit him up, and I was like, "Hey, you liked it? Do you want to do an interview?" You know, <laughs> no response. Yeah, no response for, uh, and I didn't want to kind of like poke the bear, you know. Like, I had already gotten a looks cool, so let me just, you know, chill for a while. But as I got closer, I hit him up one more time. I was like, hey, man, you know, you're going to be here, and I, I would feel remiss if I didn't at least ask one more time. You know what I mean? And he goes, email back, sure. <laughs> <laughs> just sure, no details or anything, right? Nothing. Uh, based on that, I go and I get cameras, and I go to the, and I, like, I had a friend that worked the venue, and we could kind of, like, hang out, like, not in the go into the show, but like kind of hang out near the back a little bit. Yeah. And I remember like we get there and I don't know who to talk to. I don't like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I, I, I run into Ken. Uh, okay. Kent. Yeah. Kent the, sorry, Kent. Their manager, right? Yeah. And, and he's like, so they tell me you're supposed to do some kind of interview or something, you know, and then this time, you know, they, I could be just some, you know how they get all kind of interviews, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, who'd you talk to about this so-called interview? I was like, Mike, he's like, <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like, all right. Um, well, he's sleeping right now, which he usually does until the show starts. <laughs> and he's like, so I'll let him know. <laughs> but uh, like, he's like basically like tempering my expectations. You know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He's like, hey, like, set your expectation. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm here until those buses roll out. And in fact, I'll stand in front of the bus holding the camera. And yeah. like, you said yes. Because to me, that's like, it kind of goes back to what you're talking about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't have to say sure. Yeah, he could you have just I mean? not responded or said no way. But he said right. sure. So I mean, He said that... sure. So at, at some level, he agreed to it. So like, I, I just, I felt like I could get him. Like, but it was really dicey. <laughs> like, looking back, I, I, I had the coolest move, though. It was like, I, I mean, I want to toot my own horn here. <laughs> toot away, man. Let me, let me hear so about it. So he, co- he comes in, 
And I'm like, hey, hey, so documentary? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to take a, a nap in the green room. And I, like, you know, no, he comes in and he's kind of like, he goes into the green room and lays down. And so we're just kind of hanging around. And so I'm like, he's in there and the door's open, but we're really not supposed to go over there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I hadn't, I hadn't run into him yet. And so what I do is I kind of go down to the, uh, like right when the door is. And the way he's sleeping in a couch, he's like laying down on a couch. And the way the couch is facing, it faces right into the door. You like, so you can see right out the door, right? Yeah. Like the, the line of sight. So what I do is I get in his line of, like right in his line of sight. And like he opens his eyes and he locks eyes with me. <laughs> and then I have the camera like, and so I'm staring, like stare, we're locked eyes, right? Yeah. And I have the camera in my hand and I slowly pull it into, kind of like those, like slowly pull it into frame essentially. <laughs> okay. Into purview. He, he looks at me and he does like that, like, you know, like nonverbal, like, ah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, it was, and my, I've had a couple, I have people who can validate that this happened. Um, two people were watching when this happened. Um, it was, it was like, it was such a, it was so awesome. I was like pulled it into my field of view as well. You know what I mean? So it was like camera, you know, <laughs> camera, <laughs> totally wordless is a totally wordless like, thing. Like, <laughs> Hey, I'm here to do that fucking documentary. And he's like, all right, fuck it. We'll do it. Uh, like, so he's like, Hey, can we do it after? And everyone I had talked to was like, don't do it after. No one ever wants to do an interview after. They're tired. They're fucking sweaty. No one does interviews after. If he does, if you, like, if you don't get it before, he's probably not going to do it. Yeah. He did it. He fucking did it, man. It was great. <laughs> and like that stuff with El Jefe is really fucked. That's the first interview. The very first interview with Mike was that one with the El Jefe's eating the cheese and shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. Yeah, like, and like, you know, so uh, like, uh, yeah, and like, once you have Mike, you have like, for two reasons. One, you have the top guy, Fat yeah. Records, Fat Mike. But also you have like someone who can say, like dictate what's happening, if that makes sense. Like this movie's happening, if Mike says it's happening, like, like if that makes sense, like we're gonna be doing filming at the Fat Records offices. I don't think everyone at Fat Records was as on board as Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, I look at it from, the, from their perspective. Who is this rando just coming and saying, making a movie about your thing that you've built for the last 25 years? And how do you know if they're going to tell it in a way that is good, honest, or, like, even, uh, like, a moderately appealing? You know what I mean? Was anybody uh, at Fat involved in the process? I mean, like, no. watching stuff you guys were doing or anything nope. like that? Nope. And Mike got, a, Mike got a, a cut right before final. Did he give his approval or did he just not say anything? Oh, I got a, uh, he. A, a two word email? <laughs> no, he, three paragraph email. Wow, man. You, you, <laughs> that's a lot. For I'm Mike. getting, I'm getting like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, goosebumps just thinking about like that email. That's like probably one of the most validating emails I've ever had in my life. Cause it was like, he, he literally said, cause here's the thing when, when, uh, we had met up a, a time before and he kind of like interviewed me, I guess, in his way to kind of see where my, who I was and what my head was at and yeah. stuff. But like, he was like, you can do it, man. Uh, it's cool. You know, you can use all the songs you want, you know, whatever you need. It's, you, you, you got it. Uh, he's like, but it's going to be boring, man. So make it short. It's going to be boring. And I was like, 
I don't agree. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, as you were doing that kind of in his voice, you sound a lot like Fat Mike saying that. It's almost like you have a good impression of him. Going. Oh, no, that sounds totally <laughs> unintentional. Yeah. Uh, like, he, uh, he said that, and I just totally disagreed. Because obviously, like, I mean, I just knew that people would be so revved up. How do you exist that long? I had existed in the music industry where, like, I, like the school where I was the marketing director, it's where like uh, Demi Lovato and Jessica Simpson and they were a pipeline to those uh, the talent shows and like it's that kind of world like okay. you know what I mean kids bop that kind of stuff yeah like what he the way his he operates his label is not how like it's done usually in the the, the larger music industry I think more so now. You know, I think it's that actually has changed quite a bit because I think the internet and like how you, like that developing your that relationship with your audience is so important now, which I think Fat Records was really good at. You know. Yeah. Um, I really think I honestly think their model is what I mean. I don't think they they established the model. I just think that that particular model of having you know treating your uh, having a relationship with your uh, with your fan base in a, in a certain way, like. I think that's why a lot of people are operating now. Um, but it, like he in the email, he said, I was wrong. You were right. Wow. <laughs> he literally said I was wrong. He's like, and I never say I'm wrong. He's like, he's like, uh, most people like I didn't have the vision that you had on this. And that's rare for people to have like, you know, if that makes sense. And so it was like, yeah, hugely validating. Um, you know, validation only lasts like a split second, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I write back to self-deprecating and self-doubt, like within like 20 minutes. But um, <laughs> which is, I think, is a level of that is always good to keep you humble. I think that's you know. But in that moment, I was able to feel like we, I, 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 I did it. I, I like, and and same thing with the, once Aaron saw it, I got the same kind of compliment from her. She like you captured. She's like that's not necessarily the movie I would have made, but that you really captured the the vibe of the label and the and the and the, the feel of it. You know, I um, mean, and, all all of the dealings I've ever had with Fat Records over the years. I mean, it is like a family, and I know like on on the documentary, someone says it's more like a mafia, but it's like the handshake deals and just the way that everybody. There's no real competition between the bands. The the bands all really want all the other bands to do well, and I, I think you captured that really well as well. Yeah, and I, you know, it's that, that's that was that, that's the most satisfying thing as like someone who makes shit is when like people pick up on what you were trying to say. You know, there's this really like we didn't get a lot of like official reviews like from like the you know Hollywood Reporter and like we didn't get a New York Times you know, review or LA Times review. So, you know, so our, our Rotten Tomatoes doesn't have, you know, um, a thing on it. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't yeah, have yeah. like the certified fresh. But there is one review on there. And the one review is like, makes me cry every time I read it. <laughs> like, and the guy was like, not, he's like, I wasn't even that into these bands, but now I want to go listen to all of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's awesome. It was like, oh my gosh, this is like, it was that like if you ever have a chance, go check the the uh, you know I don't want to like talk about it too much, but <laughs> go read it. And if you're if you like the movie and you like you, I know you got all of it. You know this is someone who wasn't necessarily as close to the stuff as we were getting what the movie was about. You know like yeah, and you know also talk about the eight bit stuff, all the little like 
gimmicks that we put in there to make it not boring. <laughs> well, that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. I wanted to talk about like the idea for the puppets and like how that all came about because I think that added a really cool element to the film that, you know, there was a, a fat Mike puppet. There was an Aaron puppet. There was like, there was yeah, a Chris, Chris Hanna puppet, you know? So we had shot a lot of the movie already. And uh, we actually did two crowdfunding runs. We did uh, one was the main one that like blew the fuck up. I won't even talk about that. Yeah. Um, that like, you know, we, we had a $7,500 goal for a short, that we were going to make hit that first 24 hours raised thirty six thousand dollars at the end of the game wow went back to try and get another 12 ended up with another eight but but the eight was for puppets and animation like that's really what the that was for now the way those came about when we were shooting the we'd got we the the first crowdfunding thing and paid for the trips out to california to do the main not like the main interview trips and uh, when we, one of the bands that we were talking to was Bad Cop, Bad Cop, and we went down to San Diego to film them um, live. They were one of the newer bands that had been signed at the time. Yeah. And uh, like we want to show how like they were branching out and kind of show where the label was and have people that were current also in it, you know. Um, and plus, I just like, you know, we like them and stuff. Like they were, we had, I think, met them before and thought they were really cool. So uh, when we went to the show out in San Diego, like after the show, uh, Jenny Cotterill, the lead, uh, one of the singers for Bad Cop, Bad Cop, um, she was like, and also an amazing artist, like, uh, like visual artist. She does like all kind of different things, like shadow boxes, murals. Um, she did design the mural, uh, one of the murals for Parks and Recreation. Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, she used to draw the backgrounds for Metalocalypse. Jeez, so she's done some really cool stuff. She's super talented, like amazing. And so I already knew all that. I didn't actually, I didn't know about the Metalocalypse, but I knew she was a, a, an amazingly talented um, visual artist. And she, after the show, she was like, hey, I just want to throw something at you. I, like, I make puppets. <laughs> and then she showed me some puppets she had made previously. And that was it. Like, I knew. Like, uh, like at that moment, my head, like, you know, like, epiphany moment? Yeah, totally, yeah. I, I was like, I knew that it was, because we were batting around a few ideas, like having some, like doing some cut scenes with like having kids playing like Fat Mike. Nothing salacious, but like dressed up as punk rockers, you know? Yeah. Like not drinking, not the drug stuff, but like, you know, some of the ones where like, it'd be like kids dressed up as Fat Mike acting out the stuff. Kind of like all uh, drunk history. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But it's so expensive, very complicated. Getting kids is very, that's, you know. And we have no fucking clue what we're doing at this point still, because... <laughs> first movie we've ever made so like that's just beyond us you know how, organizing that properly so when she said that i was like this is it you know this is like the way we can do it and at the time i didn't know what the hell they were going to turn out because my philosophy I and mean, i worked with a lot of amazingly talented people to make this movie you know what i mean like a lot of uh the motion graphics by jeremy fry he's like an emmy award-winning motion graphic artist that now works for xbox wow like he is a great dude. He reached out to me and asked if he could work on the movie. <laughs> like, can I please work on this movie for free? <laughs> I was like, uh, yes. <clears throat> so basically my philosophy is people who are good at what they do, you just give them some parameters and, and you hire them to do what they do. Yeah. Like, like, so with Jenny, I was like, here are my parameters. Like, the, I need... Because it was going to be expensive to make all big puppets, you know what I mean? Because of how detailed those were. Yeah. 
So I came up with the idea was like, let's make a main, Mike and Aaron are going to be like the main, main puppets. But then if you can make me a second level of four puppets that have interchangeable heads, you know, that you can slap on different heads on, that way we can have eight different characters we can do without having to have like eight puppets worth of work. Right. Yeah. Um, and to get it into the budget that we needed. So, um, so like, yeah, so and there's actually 12 sock puppets in the different versions of punk rock, like uh, the uh, Turbo Negro type people, you know, like all different kind of punk rock. Mohawk guys, they didn't, they just didn't read the way we hoped in the movie. So they only, they only pop up in like one or two scenes. Um, but she made 12 of those, four of the, uh, the mid-level puppets and then two of the ones with the bone structure and, you know, she made puppets unlike any other puppets I've ever seen. Do you still have the puppets? Like, are they prominently, like, in your house? No, they're in bins. Oh, yeah? Yeah, bins squirreled away. Well, like, I, I saw, uh, I saw I, some I, pictures of you guys, like, at a premiere or something, and you're, like, holding the fat mic puppet oh, or whatever. Oh, that, that turned out to be a, like, when we hit the non-punk rock world, yeah. if that makes sense, when we're doing, like, all the film festivals. Yeah. Like, we would have, like, maybe one or two press signed up when we would get there that wanted to talk to us. Kind of that's how the red copper works. When we bust out the puppets, flood of requests to talk to us. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Every, every single person wanted to talk to us. It really brought in a lot of... Uh, I mean, it, like, I've read also that some people, like, the puppets can turn them off. But I think more so it drew people in that were not into punk rock to kind of check out what we were talking about. And I had... Another very validating thing when you're making a movie, someone who does no idea about punk rock, doesn't even like that kind of music, comes to you and says, I don't even like this kind of music. Um, but the story you told and like when they caught up the business ethics side and like the relationships between those people and like got what the movie was about beyond the punk rock, which for me is chosen family, punk rock business ethics is, you know, one of the biggest ones that I wanted to show. Um, you know, and like how you can operate in this world, be successful and treat people right. It's possible. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying Fat Records has never made a mistake and treated somebody maybe the wrong way at some point. But I mean, I would say that if it happened, it was a mistake because they everyone I've met tends to be lean, whether or not they like me or not, tends to be good people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, man, the puppets were uh, huge for us. And I mean, it, like, um, you know, the original logo was just that Fat Records logo. And after the puppets, I like, we took the photos of those puppets and Photoshopped them. Like, the logo for the Fat Records logo, the puppets are at equal level because, you know, they both played a hand in the success of the, the label. Um, they're facing away from each other because they were divorced, but they are back to back because they're still together. You know, yeah. <laughs> for fat records. I like, love that there's so much meaning in the logo you guys did. That's great. Oh man, that's I, I think it's that it kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier, like with propaganda. Like it, there's the punk rock layer, which is fun, and the music is really well done. So like the technical stuff is awesome. The music is fun and exciting, and the lyrics, you know, it's got fuck the flag and you know all the stuff. And so you're, <laughs> you're rebelling. And you're like, yeah, but then as you start diving in, it gets deeper and deeper and like it like opens up like all these other things and i I've, I've always felt like i'm a fan of the simpsons and arrested development and 
those kind of things. I always feel like, especially with things when I, like The Simpsons or shows like that, where you, like, as you get older, like, you go and watch them and you get so many more references. There's, like, Easter eggs for when you get older. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or as you become more knowledgeable about things, like, you realize the depth. And I feel like there's a, when things have depth, even if the person's not sophisticated enough to pick up on all the layers of depth, I still feel like you have a sense that things are have depth. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like you can sense if something is done with love or if it's done with like for a paycheck. Like uh, if I can like go into Transformers for a second. Um, Michael Bay's Transformers are soulless. It's done for a paycheck. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. The new Bumblebee movie? I've seen it twice already. It's amazing. It's like, it has so much. You can tell that the guy that made it loved Transformers when he was a kid. And also, like, it, if you haven't had a chance to see it, the Bumblebee movie is excellent. It's I, really I need good. to see it, but I have two children under three, so it's going to be a while. <laughs> I'll have to I, my daughter's four. I took her to the movie. She's seen it. She went with us. We went to the, uh, I don't know if you have them like, there. We have drive-in movie theaters in Dallas. Uh, we have them during the summertime, yeah. <laughs> so, so we, so we like, we'll go. Uh, we took her to see it, and she loved it. She's asked about Bumblebee a couple times, and but if you're a fan of the like the series, yeah, you'll like yeah. you'll you'll you'll. It's the movie. It's the Transformers movie that you always wanted. And the reason I'm talking about it is only because you can tell that the guy loved it. And in the interviews, this is the guy that did Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, Paranorman. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, okay. Like his whole thing has been stop motion, like. The guy knows detail, and he also knows good storytelling, and he also cares about the characters. Like he cares about like Optimus Prime and Bumblebee, and he knows their what's important, what what important things about them are are what you don't change. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah. It's not just visually aesthetic things; it's the core part of the characters, and you have to understand. And I and I know Transformers is <laughs> a commercial, but I'm saying if someone makes a Fat Records documentary and didn't grow up with it and didn't really kind of understand what that was all about it would get you could feel it if that yeah. makes sense um so i i, I well I'm, that's one thing i could tell by watching it like i mean and i'll tell you right away i've since it's been on amazon prime which is something i want to kind of parlay into here in a second yeah. i've i've watched it i i own it on itunes i bought it the day it came out the way it, it was you. like available but then i also now that it's on amazon prime and i can get to it so easily on my smart tv I've watched it probably 10 times. What? <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I love it and I love seeing, and I've used it a little bit for research, like Sam King from Get Dead was on the show, so I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to hear the entire story of dosing Fat Mike, and, and so like, I've watched it a lot to get ideas, and like some of the new bands, like I've talked to the, a couple of people from different new bands about being on the show, and it's actually been a nice tool for me to go back and kind of come up with ideas for guests. So I know that's kind of a weird thing, but it's no, really, it's really dude, helped me I, out. That's like, uh, thank you, man, for saying that. That's like, I mean, the things that I love, I watch over and over again. You know what I mean? I like the movies that I like and I tend to like, I watch them over and over and over again. So like to, to hear that it's repeatable, it's, it's something you can watch more than once. is yeah. like, that is something that we intended because there's so many layers you know that shot? There's a shot of it. You know who Jason Heller is? Yeah. That You know that shot of Jason Heller? You know what that building behind him is? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> it's where that propaganda riot happened where the police had to be called in. 
it's the fraternal order or whatever one of those uh i had no idea that's awesome man yeah like it's it's like we put it behind, like it was it we we filmed them in in denver and so and we knew that that was there so we went and shot it in front of it and <laughs> like do you see what i'm saying like there's like like a lot of stuff if you ever look at the poster read look at look at the rating on okay. the poster yeah, like it, it it says punk as fuck yeah <laughs> And in the tiny, tiny, you have to like really get close. It says, how can you even read this? It's so small. <laughs> <laughs> and then it says, like, get ready for a punk rock thing. Like, oh, I'd have to read it to like, but it's like, like, I mean, it's your first movie and it may be your only movie. Yeah. So we did everything we could possibly think of. And um, like, like, I mean, I, I'm personally very satisfied with the way it turned out. I'm very satisfied with the reception it got um uh, like it's um it's as a it's like i haven't talked about i'm i'm we were, we're working on a couple we have two other documentaries i'm working on for the last okay. couple of years um and so i've been so steeped in like trying to manage where we're finishing editing on one that actually it's a, a wilhelm scream is the subject it's it's are you serious it's not about it's a it's not a wilhelm scream documentary yeah but they're the subject. The documentary is about what does it take to be a modern day working class creative, um, and we, we like they're kind of the main subject. But it's this, it's about them at home, and then we talk to like their parents and their kids, and we also talk to a couple other creatives to connect it as creativity, not about music or or like a band. It's really more about support systems. Yeah. And so when like some at a mid level range, of of uh, you know doing art, like. Like you, it may not. If you, to do it, you have to have lots of people supporting you in different ways. Yeah. Um. And so this kind of shows that. And I think a lot of people are going to relate to all. I mean, we got so, and it's got a great twist. Um, it's it's we've been we're in editing right now on it. So and we have been for a while. So Trevor's going to be on the show here in the future. So I'll have to ask him a little bit about that. Uh, only a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. I won't. I won't go crazy. Like we haven't we haven't announced it like officially. Um, we've been working on it for like uh, almost two years now. <laughs> yeah. uh, we we were we were we were we lived with them for like a month essentially. Wow, um, that's cool. We man. went all we went to Canada. We talked to like like we went to their parents' places. We went to Detroit, Canada, like uh, like all like Boston, New Bedford, uh, like, <laughs> like down to like, like uh, while we were filming. Uh, their show in Brooklyn, we we did get a, got a little bit of stuff there, and Propagandi was playing, and I ended up hanging out with Ira Glass at <laughs> the Propagandi show. That's weird. Like, is this real life, <laughs> dude? Uh, uh, here's here's something that'll totally fuck your head up. Um, tomorrow, I'm interviewing Ira Glass for my new documentary that I'm working on. Can you give me any details on what the new one's about? Yeah, it's about the podcast industry. Really. Yeah. Well, hey, if you need any, you know, low-level guys, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're we're this week we're with uh, uh, Radio Lab, uh, Ira Glass, uh, Jad from Radio Lab. Um, will be up at Pineapple Street Media. Um, wow. And, um, Jody Avergan from Five Thirty Eight and uh, Thirty for Thirty. Um, this one's gonna be, and we're right in the middle of all the crazy shit happening. Did you hear about that? Gimlet got bought for $200 million by Spotify, or going to be. 
I did not hear that. I'm, <laughs> I haven't seen that. That's crazy. $100 million. Do you know that I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sidetracking. But, no, it's uh, fine. Tangents galore, in man. In 2017, the entire ad revenue of the entire podcast industry was only $350 million. Really? Yeah. Wow. And Gimlet just got purchased, is being purchased for $200 million. That represents, watch what's about to happen. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? That means now podcasting is a legitimately, like, not in our eyes. We know yeah. it has been. In people who invest in things are like, what? 10x? Because they only their first investment was only like $2 million. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, podcasting, I tell people all the time because, I mean, I, this is, you're going to be episode like 42 or 43. I can't remember what it is. Oh, awesome. And uh, I've been doing it now for about a year, almost over a year. And I've been fairly successful. I've got some good sponsors and, you know, everything's covered. I'm not putting a lot of money into it anymore. Yeah. And I have, I have a really good time doing it. I have really good numbers and the guests are saying yes more and more and more. But when I tell people that don't know about podcasts, they're like, well, what's a podcast? Like, it's kind of the wild, wild west. Like, like I think eventually, and I mean, what you're telling me right now, I had no idea that happened. Yeah, podcasting's the next thing, man. I mean, it, no, it, and it's happening right now. Yeah, like, I mean, literally right now, like, uh, which is so great that, that while we were in the plane over here, that news dropped. So I like, landed in New York and that happened. And we're like talking to everyone. Like, I would I'd imagine I'm hoping there's a pretty good chance we'll get to talk to people at Gimlet yeah. because Ira Glass, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like uh, I'm, I'm going to ask him. So hopefully he can get me connected. And so um, anyway, I. <laughs> But no, I, I love tangents, but I tell you what, man, I've had you on the phone for over an hour. I don't want to keep you all day. I know you're busy. And uh, are you a Super Bowl guy? Are you going to watch the game tonight? Nah, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a sports guy. I just we, figured I'd We ask. have a lot of, this, this, we're, this week we are um, doing all these interviews and there's a lot of them jam-packed. So tonight we'll be going to bed early and we're getting, right now I'm in a bunch of, a bunch of gear. Like, uh, like we're, we've been like planning out like our routes through New York to make sure we have enough time to get to everywhere and we're checking all the equipment twice and yeah I mean this is I mean for us is you know it, it's it's really weird man I, I say <laughs> here's here's my advice to people here's my advice if you want to hang out with your heroes make a documentary about them <laughs> <laughs> yeah was like, that I, the, was that the end of the advice I, I felt there was like a butt coming up there no that's it I mean, I, I started this podcasting thing. You know, you know Roman Mars from 99% Invisible? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Roman did the pull quote on the back of our Blu-ray because uh, he turns out he's a punk rock guy. Um, uh, and I figured that out by listening to a bunch of his episodes. So I reached out to him and I sent him the movie and he sent me back this really thoughtful email, like message. And then we were needing pull quotes. I was like, can I use some of your message for the pull quote? And then... Uh, uh, about a year ago, my, um, we were working on a documentary, and a, a, one of the guys was a podcaster because we're talking to podcasters. One of the people's uh, a podcaster, uh, and he goes, "Why aren't you making a document? Why don't you make a documentary about podcasts?" And I was like, "I should make a documentary about podcasts." <laughs> and like, because we both know Roman, so I was like, I reached out to Roman, and I was only going to have it in my back pocket for when I finished with this, uh, this new movie that we're working on. Um, it's going to be called Lifer. Okay. 
Um, so, uh, like, when he said that, I was like, oh, shit. So I reached out to Roman, and he said, I said, hey, if I were to make a podcast documentary, would you be in it? And so he said yes. And so, like, I had that in my pocket. And then there's a whole other story involved with that. We'll, we'll say that for another day. But <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have a part two. I'll have you back. We'll talk about it. Oh, that'll be cool, man. I yeah, mean, I, yeah. I told you I could talk, man. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love all the stories. I just, you know, I like to keep these things around an hour. So we can have you back for a part two. Yeah, man, it's cool, man. I had a, I fucking had a blast, dude. I'm really honored that you had me on. I'm a big fan of the music you made. So it's really, really cool to, like, I don't know, man. It's like, it's all full circle. It's like the world we live in is like so crazy. <laughs> yeah. So where can people, I know people can watch now on Amazon Prime and I've been, uh, even when I'm not watching, I've gone to bed before and let it play because I know you get paid if it plays. So <laughs> you see our little video that we put out. I did see the little video. Actually, that's how I connected with you on Facebook because I, that came up in a feed somewhere on Facebook. And then I saw your name and I was like, Oh, that's the guy that directed it. So that's, yeah, that kind of hooked us up and that's why oh, you're that's, on the show. Oh, that's, Oh, wow, that's totally rad. I don't know if um, it was like hashtagging or metadata or whatever, but I saw it on my thing, and yeah, I got you on the show. So That's very, very tangible result. Is that um, how it happens, though? Like, the more that it plays, you guys get a little bit from that? Yeah, like, so a few, it would have been a few years ago, about two years ago, uh, when the movie came out, we didn't think we were going to get streaming, to be honest with you, because it had come out and kind of played out, you know, uh, what I thought was the movie, not done, but, you know, I thought it was, like, at its tail end. And then one day I was looking, and all of a sudden I saw it. On, I s discovered it on Amazon. Oh, yeah? And I was like, we're on Prime? Wasn't I supposed to get money? <laughs> <laughs> because normally when you do a deal with a streaming service, in the past they'd give you a, good, a big chunk of money for a, a specific period of time. You know, they'd say for this amount of time we're going to give you X amount of money. With this, I, when I called my distributor, I'm like, uh... Am I supposed to get money or anything uh, for this? Because, you know, it's Amazon. Um, and they're like, oh, no, they have a new thing where they, they put it in and they, they do an algorithm. And then they, they pay you based on streams. Um, and, you know, that's how Spotify and all that stuff works. And I'm like, you know, I know how Netflix works. So if someone watches, like, Filmage or any of those other great, you know, punk documentaries that are on uh, Amazon. But I also decided I also wanted to give it a little boost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, the other cool thing about that Amazon thing is now we're worldwide. Wow. Um, so, so before because of that, we're worldwide, but only places where we had translations. So a, a few months ago, I had that everything translated for Germany, and German, like, dude, it blew up over there. Yeah. Like, like I mean, just recently, like I, it, like it did really well. Like the the response I got, like, and so like we we're now moving. The Spanish translations that we had were done by uh, a friend, you know, uh, you know, kind of thing. So we could, when we did our screenings in those countries, we did over like 70 screenings worldwide that wow. I basically booked at like little indie theaters, like little venues and like, you know, kind of things like that. So we had other translations, but they have to be to a certain spec okay. for, for like Amazon and Netflix and shit like that. And it's cost about a thousand dollars to have it done. So at the end of Fat Rack, we were pretty kind of like... I got advances on my uh, for the distribution deal we got, but yeah. every single bit of it went right back into the expenses that it takes for distribution. It's a m massive expense, you know. Like the movie was like, you know, we got uh, you know thirty eight, let's you know roughly what forty some odd thousand dollars uh, from Indiegogo, right? 
with this crowdfunding. Yeah. Yeah, the movie's about $100,000. <laughs> you know, after all is said and done. You know what I mean? And, yeah. like, uh, I'm, I'm still making payments on the movie, technically. Um, <laughs> well, maybe it'll blow up bigger, man. Well, maybe, you know? because of the because of the streaming now, I think we're, 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 we're very close to being able to have broken even. Um, like, as far as the expenses and things like that. Um, a lot of it was put on credit cards. And, you know, everyone thinks that we got that money from the crowdfunding. And, like, oh, that was... So much money like yeah well they take 18 percent you know not 18 9 percent you know so you cut it down there and they gotta pay taxes because it's considered taxable income yeah you know like so you have to like manage that and so like when you get down to it, it's around 25 maybe 27 thousand you know <laughs> so like it's a it's um indie indie movies are tough <laughs> but they also have a long tail. So like the, the movie exists in the world now forever or, yeah. you know, it, it, uh, in per, into, you know, perpetuity, you know what I mean? It's not like, so now, and there's a lot of fat records fans that have, are going to have a chance to see it. So it's not, you know, eventually, um, once we recoup, we just basically split everything with that, you know? Oh, so, that's cool. Um, that's why they gave us all the music, like all those fat records. Like they gave us all, like, I don't know if you know how licensing works. Yeah. A little film. bit. But they gave us, like, we didn't have to, like, they gave us all of the, um, the, not mechanical, the, I'm forgetting this shit, um, the recordings. But then yeah. you have the publishing you have to get as well. So we had permission for the recordings and all no effect songs and the recordings that they owned, you know, the publishing too, which is a massive thing for no effects to give us their songs. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That is, you know, as an artist, you can charge as much as you want, literally you want, say yes or no, and take as long as you want to say yes. Like, it's, everything's in their court. So, there's 120 songs in the movie. Jeez, yeah. Like, <laughs> if it wasn't punk rock, there's just no way we could... There's no way that it would work. It just wouldn't have worked. People out there that don't understand, I mean, if you watch, like, the Jimmy Fallon show or something, and they'll start to play a song, and then they'll stop, or they'll change it because they don't want to have to pay for it. So, yeah. It's, if you use a if you use a song in your movie or a TV show, you've got to pay somebody. We, we, we actually, like the Ramones, we had a Ramones cover in there that we had recorded to like reference, right? like because like Pat Mike talks about the Ramones was we had it behind it for a second. And they were like, $2,000. And that is, no, that's nothing. That I mean, yeah, that's nothing, nothing, but that's still like. For, for Beat on the Brat, that was like, holy, it's usually like $20,000 and shit like that. And I was like, nope. <laughs> like it was like, it was like not. <laughs> Not, not worth it. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'll, I, like I said, I'll, I'll keep going, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, I just want to say thank you very much for being on the show today. And uh, you've you know, told us you've got some new movies coming out, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet? Anything you want to promote, like socials or anything? Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, like, everything for the movie is a fat wreck. Like, if you type that in to Google, you will get the movie because Fat Records website is fatrec.com and our website is afatrec.com. Yeah. Um, so, and that has all our social stuff on there. Everything's a fat rec. Um, okay. The film company, like our production company is open-ended films. Um, and that's, we're on Instagram and, and Twitter and it's basically me. You know okay. what I mean? Those are my yeah. things. But, I, go, but I, I tend to not post a whole lot until we're like in production. You know what I mean? Okay. So like this week, if anyone's listening, during I don't know when you're when you post this I know how podcast this works, this so. will be out in a couple of weeks actually so by the time you hear this we the, last week or so uh, we were uh, filming and so you'll see if you're going on our social media right now you'll probably see 
a lot of shots from um, us, the movie we're working on right now. And if you go on the Fat Records, uh, Fat Rec Instagram, there, it goes back to like when we first started the movie, and you can kind of see we took pictures like the puppets when they were, we did stuff for, and all the screenings and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah awesome, that's a, man. a Fat Rec and open ended films. Cool. Well, Sean, thank you so much. And uh, I definitely want to have you back for a part two because I, I, I enjoy all the stories and I want to hear the rest of them. So, fuck yeah, man. I would, I'd be, uh, it'd be, it'd, I'd be, it'd be, uh, eh. I'd be honored. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I want you to have a great night. Keep up the good work, and uh, I will talk to you in the future, okay? All right. Later. Thanks a lot. Later. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Sean Cologne of Open Ended Films and the director of one of my favorite documentaries, A Fat Wreck. Uh, you guys need to check it out. It is streaming currently on Amazon Prime for free if you are a Prime member. You can also get it on iTunes or wherever you get your movies. Check it out. A Fat Wreck. It's a punkumentary, as it says. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to cut this short. I'm very tired. I'm going to go to sleep. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all the support. Every week we are growing and growing, and uh, we keep charting. We've charted now 10 weeks in a row on iTunes. So make sure you're going over there and subscribing, rating, and reviewing. That helps the show grow. I would really appreciate that. Also check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. We could use the support over at Patreon as well, and there'll be all kinds of cool exclusive content for our patrons. So I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to leave you guys with two songs by two of my favorite Fat Records bands. The first song is going to be Island of Shame by Lagwagon. It's uh, like on their first record way back in the day. So the beginning of the record label. And then I'm going to take you guys up to Propagandi from like 2005. It's a speculative fiction. So it kind of shows you, you know, how it started and where it came. And, and I mean, you know, I would play something from now, but it's already over an hour and a half. So I'm going to play two songs because I cannot not play a lag wagon and a Propagandi song. So uh, thank you guys once again. I'll see you next week. My guest is going to be Chris number two from Anti-Flag. I can't wait for that. You guys are really going to enjoy it. So enjoy this lag wagon song and this Propagandi song. And I will see you next week. Make sure to listen to the end for the hidden track. I'll see you guys. Thanks a lot.
still here. I got to tell you about this hidden track. I think it deserved a little explanation. Today is the 13th of February. It is Mr. Henry Rollins' birthday. So shout out to Hank. Happy birthday, Hank. This is a public service announcement that Henry did against doing meth. I thought it was pretty cool. And I'm against meth, so I'm going to play it. Here it is. You might take meth because of how it feels. But this is how it feels to your heart. The only difference is, you can't rebuild a heart. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.